Chapter Two of In the School Room. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the School Room by John S. Hart. Chapter Two The Art of Questioning. The measure of a teacher's success is not what he himself does but what he gets his scholars to do. In nothing is this more noticeable than in the different modes of putting a question to a scholar. One teacher will put a question in such a manner as to find out exactly how much or how little of the subject the child knows, and thereby encourage careful preparation, to give the pupil an open door, if he really knows the subject, to express his knowledge in a way that will be a satisfaction and pleasure to him, to improve his power of expression, to cultivate his memory, to increase his knowledge, and to make it more thorough and definite. Another teacher will put his question so as to secure none of these ends, but on the contrary, so as to induce a most lamentable degree of carelessness and inaccuracy. Let me illustrate this point, taking an example for greater convenience from a scriptural subject. Suppose it to be a lesson upon Christ's temptation, as recorded in the fourth chapter of Matthew. The dialogue between teacher and scholar may be supposed to proceed somewhat in this wise. Teacher, who was led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? Pupil, Jesus. Teacher, yes. Now, when Jesus had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward, uh, what? How did he feel after that? Pupil, hungry. Teacher, yes, that is right. He was afterward, uh, hungered. Now, then, the next scholar. Who then came to Jesus and said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread? Scholar hesitates. Teacher, the tea? Pupil, the tempter? Teacher, yes, you're right. It was the tempter. Who do you think is meant? Who do you think is meant by the tempter? The devil? Pupil, yes. Teacher, when a man has fasted, that is, has eaten nothing for forty days and forty nights, and feels very hungry, would the suggestion of an easy mode of getting food be likely to be a strong temptation to him, or would it not? Pupil, it would. Teacher, yes, you are right again. It would be a strong temptation to him. I need not pursue this dialogue further. The reader will see at once how there may thus be the appearance of quite a brisk and fluent recitation, to which, however, the pupil contributes absolutely nothing. It requires nothing of him in the way of preparation, and only the most indolent and profitless use of his faculties while reciting. He could hardly answer amiss, 
unless he were an idiot. And yet he has the appearance, and is often flattered into the belief of having given some evidence of knowledge and proficiency. The opposite extreme from the method just exhibited is that known as the topical method. It is the method pursued in the higher classes of schools and among more advanced students. In the topical method, the teacher propounds a topic or subject, sometimes in the form of a question, but more commonly only by a title, a mere word or two, and then calls upon the pupil to give, in his own words, a full and connected narration or explanation of the subject, such as the teacher himself would give if called upon to narrate or explain it. The subject already suggested, if profound topically, would be somewhat in this wise. The First Temptation of Jesus Or, more fully, narrate the circumstances of the first temptation of Jesus and show wherein his virtue was particularly tried in that transaction. The teacher, having propounded the subject clearly to the class, then waits patiently, maintaining silence himself, and requiring the members of the class to be silent and attentive until the pupil interrogated is quite through, not hurrying him, not interrupting him, even with miscalled helps and hints, but leaving him to the free and independent action of his own faculties, in giving as full, connected, and complete an account of the matter as he can. When the pupil is quite through, the teacher then, but not before, makes any corrections or additional statements that may seem to be needed. In such an exercise as this, the pupil finds the absolute necessity of full and ample preparation. He has a powerful and healthy stimulus thus to prepare, in the intellectual satisfaction which one always feels in the successful discharge of any difficult task. And he acquires a habit of giving complete and accurate expression to his knowledge, by means of entire sentences and without the help of catchwords or leading strings of any kind. Some classes, of course, are not sufficiently advanced to carry out fully the method here explained, but there are many intermediate methods founded on the same principle and suited to children in every stage of advancement. Only let it be understood, whatever the stage, that the object of the recitation is not to show what the teacher can say or do, but to secure the right thing being said and done by the pupil. To recur once more to the same subject, the temptation of Christ. For a very juvenile class, the questioning might proceed on this wise. Teacher Where was Jesus led after his baptism? Pupil He was led into the wilderness. By whom was he led there? He was led by the Spirit. For what purpose was he led into the wilderness? 
he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. By whom was he to be tempted? He was to be tempted by the devil. What bodily want was made the means of his first temptation? If the class is quite young, and this question seems too difficult, the teacher, instead of asking it, or after asking it and not getting a satisfactory answer, might say to his class that Jesus was first tempted through the sense of hunger. He was very hungry, and the devil suggested to him an improper means of relieving himself from the inconvenience. He might then go on with some such questions as these. Teacher, what circumstance is mentioned as showing how very hungry he must have been? Pupil, he had fasted forty days and forty nights. Teacher, mention any way in which you might be tempted to sin if you were suffering from hunger. The foregoing questions, it will be perceived, are very simple, being suited to scholars just advanced beyond the infant class. Yet, no one of the questions in its form or terms necessarily suggests the answer. No one of them can be answered by a mere yes or no. No scholar, unacquainted with the subject and with his book closed, can guess at the answer from the way in which the question is put. Not a question has been given, simple as they all are, which does not require some preparation, and which does not, to some extent, give exercise to the pupil's memory, his judgment, and his capacity for expression. If the class is more advanced, the questions may be varied so as to task and exercise these faculties more seriously. For instance, the teacher of a class somewhat older might be imagined to begin the exercise like this. After the baptism of Jesus, which closes the third chapter of Matthew, we have an account of several temptations to which he was exposed. Now, open your books at the fourth chapter and see if you can find out how many verses are occupied with the narrative of these temptations and at what verse each temptation begins. The teacher then requires all the class to search in silence and each one to get ready to answer, but lets no answer be given until all are prepared. When all have signified their readiness, someone is designated to give the answer. The books being closed, the questioning begins. Teacher, name the different places into which Jesus was taken to be tempted and the verse in which each place is named. Pupil, it is said in the first verse that Jesus was led up into the wilderness, in the fifth verse that he was taken up into the holy city and set on a pinnacle of the temple, and in the eighth verse that he was taken up into an exceedingly high mountain. What was the condition of Jesus when the devil proposed his first temptation? He had been fasting forty days and forty nights, and he was very hungry. I need not multiply these illustrations. I have not made them entirely in vain if I have succeeded in producing in the mind of the reader the conviction of these two things. First, 
that it is a most important and difficult part of the teacher's art to know how to ask a question and secondly that the true measure of the teacher's ability is not so much what he himself is able to say to the scholars as the fullness the accuracy and the completeness of the answers which he gets from them end of chapter two